This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. We have got a great show for you today. My old pal Chris Steyerwalt, formerly of Fox News, and Eliana Johnson, the editor of the Washington Free Beacon, will be with us later to talk Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Sage Steele of ESPN, and more. But first, we're going to get to the crisis at our southern border, which continues even though the media has moved on. As 10 governors yesterday began taking matters into their own hands, what choice do they have? Drafting a 10-point plan for getting the border under control. With the Biden administration choosing inaction at a time of national security problems, uh, our only line of defense as of now are Border Patrol agents who have been demonized for attempting to create or to control the situation created by Joe Biden and others. Joining me now is Brandon Judd. He's the president of the National Border Patrol Council and a Border Patrol agent himself for over 24 years. Brandon, thank you for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me, Megan. Okay, so um, what is this group? Because I understand these governors got together, including Greg Abbott of Texas, and they compiled a 10-point plan to tackle this border problem. And you, you were part of it. You were with it. So how did this come about? Well, when you look at... Uh the stresses that illegal immigration causes on the states, but even worse than that, the flow of the drugs that come into uh, the states and kill our children in all areas, suburbs, um, inner city, and in the rural areas. When you look at all of the stressors that are being placed on the states, uh, these governors are put in a no-win situation where they have to come up with solutions themselves to do the job that the federal government is choosing not to do. Um, This is obviously a federal government issue, but if they're not going to do what they need to do to protect the states, then the states are going to have to step up and and come up with plans on their own. What what is the biggest difference you've noticed from when Trump was president to when Biden is has since he's become president? Uh, It's it's night and day. Uh, What we've seen is we've seen a complete secession, if you will, of all of our operations to criminal cartels. Um, Right now, they're dictating to us what we're able to do. They know that if they flood us in certain areas uh, with large numbers of people that cross the border, it requires that we then send our resources to those areas, which then depletes our resources in other areas of the border. And when we do that, they're able to create artificial gaps where they then can cross um, higher value products, whether that's fentanyl, criminal aliens, or aliens from special interest countries. 
they're able to dictate to us exactly how we operate. And when we do that, they're able to get their higher value products across, which then, of course, makes it into middle America, um, spreads out throughout the United States. And, and of course, that is very, very dangerous um, to all of our citizens, all of our uh, um, fellow citizens. And, and again, it, it really upsets the balance of how we're able to secure the border. Um, and right now, it's just it's the most unsecure I've ever seen it in my life. So the cartels are not stupid. They know to create a problem at point A so that all the Border Patrol will go there exposing point B because they know we don't have the manpower to cover the entire border and then provide backup for those same spots. But is that a difference from under President Trump? I mean, did, as far as I know, Joe Biden hasn't rolled back the number of agents, has he? It, it is different. And, and the reason why it's different is because the, the way we deal with the people that cross the border illegally. So under President Trump, he recognized that the catch and release problem was the main magnet that is drawing people here to the United States. When I say catch and release, that's when somebody crosses the border illegally. We take them into custody. We process them and just release them into the United States pending a future court date. That's exactly what these individuals want. They want to be released into the United States, and the cartels understand that. When President Trump ended the catch and release magnet, when he uh, was able to negotiate the migrant protection protocols with the Mexican government, we were sending everybody that was crossing our borders, we were sending them right back to Mexico pending their asylum or deportation proceedings here in the United States. Once we did that, illegal immigration dropped to 45-year lows. We were then able to uh, concentrate on the criminality. We were able to go after the profits of the criminal cartels, and we were able to drive down the, the number of drugs, the amounts of drugs that were on the streets, and of course, that killing our children. Again, when you look at the number of overdoses right now in this country, it's at an all-time high, and it's strictly due to policy that's been implemented by this administration in getting rid of and gutting all of the immigration policies that we had under President Trump. So if an illegal immigrant crosses the southern border now, they get stopped by a Border Patrol agent, if we're lucky, right? If we see him, if we have the manpower, yeah. we get the we get the guy. We process him, meaning we we basically take down the person's information and we give them a date to show up because they all say they want asylum, right? So you give them a, an asylum date, I guess, is, is how we do it. And then we say, OK, bye. And they're out there on the honor system. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happens. And, and it gets even worse from there. Even if they do show up to their asylum or deportation proceedings, and if a judge orders them deported because they've been in the United States um, for a number of years, because these deportation proceedings or asylum proceedings, they take years. They don't they don't happen within a couple months. They take years. And if they show up, they've now accumulated a number of goods here in the United States. Um, and a judge, if they issue that, if they issue a deportation um, notice, then they'll immediately issue a stay of that deportation and they'll release these people on their own recognizance to get their affairs in order. And then they're supposed to show up to ICE at a later date oh, um, to then be deported. And that's when they disappear into what President Obama termed as the shadows of society. So, yeah, we release them. And then if they do show up to court, then a judge releases them pending a future deportation. And then they disappear and they never show so up. So even again. once the deportation order is handed down by the judge, we release them on the honor system saying, please come back for the day of your deportation. We do. We do. I, wow. as, as crazy as that sounds. And, and the reason that they're doing this is, again, 
these people have accumulated. So when they're here pending their deportation proceedings, we've given them a de facto legal status. So we've rewarded them for crossing our borders illegally. When we release them, we give them a, a, a de facto legal status. They're then able to get work permits. They're able to get driver's licenses. They're able to put their children in school. They're able to get all of the social benefits that any United States citizen would have access to. And when they accumulate those goods, then the judge issues an order of deportation, releases them so they can get all of those things in order in mm. order to leave the country. And of course, that's when that's we know the they game. never show up. OK, again. that's the game. Accumulate goods so that you can go into the in the judge and when he rules against you on whether you can stay, you can say, oh, I've got all these things. I just got to get my affairs in order. And we say yes. And they're, and that's the end of that. They're here. Bob's your uncle. Correct. So now under President Trump, the, the same guy crosses over. You catch him. You process him. He's standing there saying, I really want asylum or, you know, please let me stay. I need a I need a hearing of some sort. And what what would happen? We would then send them back to Mexico. We would give them the same court date. And when that court date arises there, they then show up to the port of entry. Um, they're paroled into the United States. But with that parole, they're under custody. They're, they're in custody the entire time. And so if a judge is, if a judge um, orders them deported at that point, they never leave custody and they're sent back to their country of origin. That was the the system that was always supposed to be in place. We were never supposed to be releasing these individuals. When the immigration laws were passed, it was never envisioned that these people would be released into the United States. But that's what's happened because the cartels are flooding us and they understand that we only have so many resources to hold people in our jail facilities for so long. So President Trump, recognizing this, decided, well, we'll just have them wait in Mexico pending that asylum or deportation proceeding. And it was the most brilliant plan that we've ever seen. You know, we, we always talk about we shouldn't recreate the will. We should always look at what's been done in the past. Well, nothing had been done in the past that had worked. I started my career under President Clinton, um, worked up through Bush, Obama, um, Trump, and now, now Biden. And nothing had worked in the past because we never did anything like this. President Trump literally created the will on this, and he gave the Biden administration a blueprint on how they could deal with illegal immigration. But the Biden administration, pandering to its base, understanding that they want to get their base out to vote in all elections, they started pandering to their base, and they completely and totally gutted the Trump um, the Trump policies, which put us in this current situation. Well, there there was a court ruling, Supreme Court recently, I think, saying that the Remain in Mexico policy had to stand and that that couldn't just be so easily undone by President Biden. Have you seen the effects of that? I mean, are we able now in the wake of that to send the folks back to Mexico? No, the uh, the Biden administration hasn't implemented the problem with that with that court order. And it's a good court order. It has no teeth. Um, how do you enforce that? If the Biden administration just chooses to ignore it, the only thing you can do is file another lawsuit. Well, wait, um, let me judge... stop you there. Let me stop you there. How are we enforcing it before? When, when when we sent the people back to Mexico, did we have buses lined up or do I mean, did you guys make sure now you're on the bus and you're going? Yeah. Yeah. So under the, under the Trump administration, we would we would the moment they were apprehended, we would process them and we would take them back to a port of entry and we would expel them back into Mexico from that port of entry. But unless the Biden administration gives us that authority to do that, we can't do it. We cannot, even though the court has ruled that the MPP must be re-implemented, it has to be re-implemented through policy and certain procedures. And that's what the Biden administration is failing to do. They're not giving us those policies and procedures, so we can't re-implement how a judge told us to do it.
Mm, you can't just start doing it on your. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if, you, if you've got like stop and frisk in New York City and a court rules it unconstitutional, it's not like the cops just go based on whatever the court says. They need a boss. They need the person who's in charge, who they answer to, to say, OK, here's how this is going to change your approach. On the subject of the cartels, um, there was a documentary out recently that that made this point that the cartel is paying children to keep an eye on you guys from Mexico to make sure they know what you're doing at all times and where we're most vulnerable. Here's a clip from the documentary. And it's the kids that get roped into this crap. The majority of the time, yes. You'd be surprised how trained these kids are. Yeah. How trained they are? Because trust me, you got little kids making $20 to sit there and play. And hey, let me know if anybody shows up. Like I said, that's $20 in Mexico. It's a lot of damn money. So the cartels will pay the, the kids. They'll pay them whatever they pay them. I don't. I'm not. I'm just giving them an amount, but yeah, yeah. They they pay them. They're like they're scouts, believe it or not. <laughs> so have you seen that kids spying on you guys? I have personally seen that. As rudimentary as that sounds, it's extremely effective. Um, they use kids. They'll use kids for for multiple purposes. They'll use kids um, to cross the border illegally with uh, with adults and say that and and the adults will say that that child is their kid. So it's now a family unit and that child will get recycled over and over and over again. Um, they'll use kids that way. They'll use kids as scouts. Um, these cartels, they just don't care about life. They don't care about freedom. They don't care whether or not even children are able to grow up in a normal manner. All they care about is the profit. And, and let's understand that, that the profit is astronomical on illegal immigration alone alone, they are generating a minimum of $400 million a month in profit. That does not include the drug trade. That does not include um, trafficking in criminal aliens or aliens from special interest countries. So these profits are astronomical and that's what they're after. And they'll do anything to get it, including using kids. $400 million a month. Is that what you just said? Yes. From, from million. people a who minimum, are paying them minimum. to get them across the border? Uh, I'm sorry. Say that again. Say what? What is the money? You said that's not including the drugs and the profit and all that. What did? What do they make the 400 million from doing? That's on human smuggling alone, human trafficking alone, just bringing people across the border, um, oh, having man. them cross the border illegally, trafficking them up through uh, Central America, South America. Um, they're able to go into countries, and this is again something that we've never seen before. These cartels are able to go into countries, China. Uzbekistan, um, uh, Gambia, they're able to go throughout the world and they're able to advertise their services. And when they advertise their services, these people pay them large sums of money to be smuggled up to the U.S.-Mexico border. When they cross the border illegally, the cartel's job is now done and they've made the money. So in human trafficking alone, they are generating 400, a minimum of $400 million in profit every month. Oh, my gosh. I guess we have a clip of that, too. By the way, the documentary is by Peter Santanello. It's called How Immigrants Cross the U.S.-Mexico Border. This is soundbite number six of migrants paying to cross. Just to cross from that side of the river to this side, they're paying $3,500 just across just the river itself. They have their, their smuggler that brings them across, puts them to the United States side. Hey, get off, get off, get off. And then he'll go right back and load up another one. And Wow. So it's not just, I mean, it's like every step of the way they fork over more dough, whether they're poor or as you point out in these other countries, maybe they've got worse intentions and more money uh, to somehow find their way in, into the United States. Um, this is such a, 
huge battle because it seems genuinely out of control. We saw a record number of crossings in July, over 200,000 in August. I think it fell only slightly, but it was still over 200,000 in September. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was once again around 200,000. Yeah, it's so the September, the official September numbers have not come out yet. Um, the unofficial numbers are going to be a little more than 200,000. Um, they don't change very much from those unofficial numbers. So I would expect, yes, we're going to have another uh, another month in which we app- we made more than 200,000 apprehensions. When you look at this, you know, everybody likes to compare fiscal year to fiscal year. In this case, we can't do that because this fiscal year, the first three months were under President Trump. And so apprehensions were low under his uh, w- when he was the president. The apprehension skyrocketed the moment President Biden took, took office. So in eight months, in eight short months, we've made more than 1.2 million apprehensions and we're on pace for, for a calendar year to break every single record we've ever had. Oh, my goodness. Now, my understanding from what I read was that in July and August, at least half of those were were returned immediately under the covid policy was a title 42, which President Trump put in place that basically said, given the covid emergency, we're kind of not going to jump through the hoops we normally would with immigrants uh, who cross illegally. And we have the authority to just send them home. So we did that with at least half in July and at least half in August. So are we averaging about 100,000 people that you apprehend? This doesn't count the ones that you don't see and that you don't know about um, getting into the country and going on their merry way each month. Yeah. So w- when you look at the numbers, the, the, the actual numbers show that we're releasing between 60 to 70 percent of the illegal border crossers. Now, when I say we, we made 212 apprehensions, that doesn't mean that we dealt with 212,000 different people. Some of the people we apprehend over and over again. But what we're dealing with Month in and month out, we're dealing with about 140,000 different people. So when you look at 60 to 70 percent of that that's being released into the United States, we have already released in eight short months more than 600,000 people. And then when you add that on top of the Godaways, the people that we have been that we've detected, but we weren't able to apprehend. We have added over a million people to our population. We've added more than a a million illegal border crossers to our population in eight short months. Okay, so let me ask you about that. Historically speaking, I'm I'm sorry, say that again? Yeah, so my question about that, Brandon Judd, my, my guest today, president of the National Border Patrol Council, is where do they go? Right. We always hear these stories about all these people crossing into the United States. And, and maybe a lot of folks up in New York think that this is a California problem and a Texas problem only, you know, maybe some Florida, some Arizona. But like, where do all those people go? Everywhere. So everywhere that your listeners and your viewers are, they're there. Um, these people will spread out through throughout the entire United States. Um, it's interesting when you look at the Brazilians, I, I can pretty much guarantee if they're from Brazil, they're going to Atlanta or Boston. When you look at the large communities of Brazilians in those cities, uh, that's generally where they're going. Um, every Every different nationality is going to different places, but they're spreading out throughout the entire United States. Um, they're going to go wherever jobs are available. If jobs mm-hmm. are available, they're going to head to those those locations. So if, if jobs are available in Des Moines, Iowa, you can expect to see a large number of people that cross the border illegally that were released um, in Des Moines, Iowa. That includes Nebraska, Oklahoma, it, Miami, Florida, um, even Bangor, Maine. Um, they, they go throughout the entire United States wherever there are jobs. 
That's because this, it, it bears noting, is not right now we have a Democrat in the White House who's very pro open borders, um, but it's not really just a Democrat created problem because it's more Republicans who have been in charge of like the Chamber of Commerce and a lot of these big businesses that want cheap labor that willingly turned a blind eye to this problem for many, many years. That's why it was so unusual to hear a guy like Trump, you know, who was really beholden to nobody. He was technically a Republican, but, you know, that's, I think, just because you, you got to pick a party to run uh, for president. And he's definitely more right leaning than left. But that's why it was so unusual to hear him talking so much about the southern border and the wall and so on, because most Republicans like Mitt Romney types were more beholden to those business interests that liked the cheap labor. You couldn't be more correct. Um, the border was out completely and totally out of control under the Bush administration. You know, any time that uh, President Bush talked about an amnesty, we saw a huge influx in people crossing borders illegally. And like what you just said, the Chamber of Commerces, which, again, are, are majorly controlled by Republicans, they want that cheap labor. Um, so when you look at this, this has been an issue with both Democrats and Republicans. The only president under my my time as a law enforcement officer, the only president that I have ever seen come in and actually address the issue has been President Trump. Unfortunately, right now, all of his policies have been completely and totally overturned. And so we're seeing this huge influx, not just from Mexico, not just from um, Central America, throughout the world. And that's, you know, I go back to, to, to President Bush's time. Under his time, we were dealing, again, 90% of the people that we were dealing with were from Mexico. The other 10%, most of them were, were coming from Central America. Now we're dealing with people throughout the world. When we cleared out that bridge in Del Rio, um, the very next day, we were apprehending people from um, Gambia, uh, Senegal, um, Uzbekistan, Brazil, China. Wow. We were apprehending people from all over the world at that exact same place where the where the United States public was able to get all of those great visuals to see exactly what we're dealing with. So this problem is a worldwide problem. It's not just a problem with Mexico or Central America anymore. We're seeing people from all over the world, 151 different countries we're apprehending people from. Meanwhile, you've got little kids who are crying in their daycare as these daycare workers say the mask has to go over the face, the mask over the face as the little two year olds cry as they get smothered by these masks and these mask Nazis who insist that it be over the nose, over the nose. And they don't. Where are those same people objecting to the sieve that is our southern border as all these folks come into the country? God knows what is wrong with them. I mean, we heard our own administration say, yeah, they, they've got some diseases. Yeah. And they're not being tested for COVID. They're not being vaccinated. Here was uh, Dr. Fauci talking about how that's not really a problem. This is soundbite number four. Are immigrants a major reason why COVID-19 is spreading in the U.S.? No, absolutely not, Dan. I mean, if you just look at the data and look at the people who have gotten infected, look at the people who are in the hospital, you don't want to look outside to the problem. The problem is within our own country. Certainly immigrants can get infected, but they're not the driving force of this. Let's face reality here. But my feeling has always been that focusing on immigrants, expelling them or what have you is not the solution to mm -hmm. an outbreak. What do you make of that? <laughs> that that right there is the epitome of hypocrisy. You know, Dr. Fauci, 
who is constantly spouting, we need to wear masks, we need to social distance, we need to do all of these things. We're talking about millions of people that are entering our country illegally. Of course, they're spreading the disease. We've already had 14 agents die of COVID um, that, they, that they contracted while on duty. We've had um, officers at the ports of entry, more than 30 have, uh, have died of COVID-19. Of course, these people are spreading the disease as they come into the United States, especially when you consider that most of these countries that they're coming from, um, the disease, the, the, the rate of the disease is much greater than here in the United States. So uh, again, that's political talking points and that's what should frustrate and that's what should upset the, the American public. When you get a doctor that is willing to put politics before the health and safety of the American public, that's when you know that our government is wrong. And Dr. Fauci, frankly, he's just flat out wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, he goes right to like, they're not the cause of COVID. Well, well, duh. I mean, no one's saying that, but it's a problem. My little kid, my assistant's little two-year-old sitting there with her mask on, three-year-old, she's not the problem either. But you've been telling us that everyone needs to do their part. You've told me I have to, you, Fauci, vaccinate my eight-year-old when that gets approved. And now my new 12-year-old already, because I'm supposed to be, quote, doing my part. Um, And yet when you get asked about millions of illegal immigrants crossing the southern border who may have COVID, it's really not the problem. That's not where we should be focused. Oh, give me a break. Um, All right. My guest today is Brandon Judd. He's the president of the National Border Patrol Council and a Border Patrol agent himself for over 24 years. He's with us. And up next, we're going to talk about DHS Secretary Mayorkas, um, who seems to be standing idly by as he rumored 400,000 more migrants are headed our way. Hey, everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back to The Megan Kelly Show. I'm joined today by Brandon Judd, the president of the National Border Patrol Council and a Border Patrol agent for over 24 years. So NBC News reporting that our DHS secretary, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, said that he had asked DHS officials whether they were prepared for up to 400,000 people to try to enter the United States in October if um, they if if that sort of remain in or if that um, Title 42 ability to expel people based on covid uh, rule that was handed down by the Trump administration, if that were lifted in, by the courts. Um, and so that's basically what we have is our Homeland Security secretary predicting 400,000 people are going to try to come into the country in just October alone if that Title 42 covid policy goes away. 
Yeah, he, he's absolutely correct when, uh, on that issue. I'm going to take umbrage with a lot of the things that he says, but on that, that issue, he's absolutely correct. If Title 42 goes away and we're not able to expel people uh, immediately under this health uh, code that CDC has recognized, then we're going to just open up the floodgates because everybody is going to be released. I mean, right now, at least we're expelling uh, about 40% of the people, which is is kind of holding at bay this huge surge that is that's just waiting to come into the United States. I mean, all you have to do is look at the Haitians alone. Um, Peru has reported that over 60,000 Haitians are, is, are passing through um, their country right now as we speak, coming to our southwest border. And that's just from one nation. Again, we're dealing with, with nations throughout the world. So yes, if that Title 42 were to go away, we're going to be in serious trouble, but we're, we're also going to be in trouble because of the policies. So if we didn't have Title 42, when, when President Trump was able to control the border, we didn't have Title 42. He was able to control it through very savvy negotiations that he was able to do with Mexico. Mm-hmm. He went into Mexico and he demanded that they become true border security partners. And they did it because he was threatening tariffs. And those tariffs were greater than the amount of money that the cartels were able to make in their smuggling organizations. So the economy was going to take a hit. The Mexican economy was going to take a hit. So they agreed to implement um, the migrant protection protocols or remain in Mexico program, which is what allowed us to drive illegal immigration to to Lowe's. So even if the Title 42 were to go away, which I don't want to see it go away, Mm -hmm. but if it were to go away, the Biden administration would be able to control this through policy, which, by the way, doesn't cost the taxpayer a cent. It just he's not going to because he's going to continue to appease his base and his base wants open borders. Uh, Can we talk about? Yeah, of course. And it's the messaging that Biden has been handing down from the beginning. I mean, it's been all talk of asylum and letting folks stay. And the messaging matters. You know, it definitely matters. I mean, people knew under Trump that it was going to be a lot tougher than it was under Obama. We had Dennis Michael Lynch saying it could have been even tougher under Trump. He didn't like some of his softer language on DACA. But there's no question there was a big difference between Trump's rhetoric about the southern border than we've seen with Biden, who seems to be telegraphing. Uh, you know, the borders open, notwithstanding what Mallorca says. Mallorca says, fear not, the borders closed. In fact, we've got that sound, but it's number three. Here's uh, here's DHS Secretary Mallorca. We heard the sheriff say it, the governor say it, and the migrants I spoke to say it. They are coming across because they believe they will be welcomed under the Biden administration. You said yourself three weeks ago, we're not saying don't come. We're saying don't come now. President Biden had a stronger message later. But the messages are mixed at best, Mr. Secretary. Martha, good morning. Uh, The message is quite clear. Do not come. Uh, The border is closed. The border is secure. Okay, so he says from this temperature controlled studio, uh, unlike you and your guys, you tell me what the truth is. Yeah. All you have to do is look at the amount of drugs that are on the streets today. That shows that the border isn't secure. Look at the number of people that have been able to enter the country illegally and evade apprehension. That shows the border isn't secure. Look at the number of people that we're releasing with these NTAs under the catch and release program. That shows the border isn't secure. Criminal cartels listen to actions. They don't care about words. They're always going to watch the actions. And the actions of this administration is screaming loud and clear. Our border is open. Go ahead and advertise your services throughout the world, because if they come, we're going to release them. That's the reason why we're seeing numbers that that we've just never seen before in the history of the Border Patrol. Mm -hmm. And now on top of, you know, the the covid threat and just the 
the criminality that comes. There's no question when you have this number of migrants crossing the southern border, whether they want to you know, surround themselves with children that aren't really theirs in order to get in. There is a there is an unhealthy criminal element uh, in it. You also have to worry about the terrorism. And I think about it in the context of Afghanistan, because you got these two two dueling crises in America where our 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 joint chiefs chairman, um, everybody, every, our defense secretary, everybody's saying we're less safe now as a result of Afghanistan, that there's no question Al Qaeda is going to be back in Afghanistan trying to plot attacks. And we could see one within the next 12 months on the homeland. At the same time, um, you've got um, his name. Is, well, you know, Rodney Scott, right? He's former. He's a Border Patrol chief. And he comes out and says this about the terror threat that we're now looking at. We have nation state threats. We have terrorist threats we can't get into in this type of a forum, but they're real, they exist, and they want to come across that border. Statistically, it always includes rapists, murderers, potential terrorists, every single year. To think that there's not just as bad or worse people and those getting away would be naive. Mm. Okay, so this is what this is what Trump was called a racist for over and over when he said that, it, when he you know came down the escalator and said, I'm running. They're not sending our best their best people. They're sending rapists. They're sending murderers. Well, that's true. I mean, it's true. It's not doesn't mean that every single person crossing the southern border is one of those things. But we do need to worry about it. We have a responsibility to know who is coming into this country. We have a responsibility to vet all of the people that are coming into this country. And when you have illegal immigration um, at the levels that we that we currently have, we can't do that. Not alone, let alone know who's coming across that are getting away. But all of these people that are coming across into our country, we can't do backgrounds checks on them in their own countries. We don't have um, access to their databases um, like what we do here in the United States. If somebody has a criminal record here in the United States, we're going to know about it because we fingerprint them. But we're not going to know about their criminal records in their own countries because we don't have that access. And we, of course, don't have the time to vet the number of people that are crossing the borders illegally, even if we do, even if we are lucky enough to take them into custody. So, you know, Chief Scott, he's absolutely correct. And then, of course, when you look at the 151 nations, I can tell you. I don't know of a single apprehension from Britain. I don't know of one from France, Germany, um, Italy. We don't know of apprehensions from those locations because those are well-developed countries. Those are countries that are friendly to the United States. The United Nations identifies 195 countries. Officially, they identify 195. We're apprehending people from 151 of those countries. A lot of those countries are not friendly to the United States, and those countries as a government as a whole, they want to do harm to the United States. So yes, it is a very dangerous, um, mm. when you consider the number of people and the number of countries, it is very dangerous to the American public what is coming in from the Southwest border. So of course, last month, was it? Yeah, last month, I'm just trying, losing track of my dates. Uh, it was very clear the Biden administration used the fake news report about Border Patrol agents allegedly whipping migrants um, down in Del Rio to distract from the disastrous policy um, that we were watching unfold right there. I mean, that's I've heard even the left wing press saying that now it's just obvious what was happening. And the, and the left wingers, you know, sort of the hardcore leftists ran with it and loved the distraction because they didn't want to talk about actual 
actual immigration problems. Um, but meanwhile, as I understand it, we still have some agents on desk duty and facing an investigation that appears very much to be rigged. Mayorkas said up front it's going to be swift. Then he just came out in response to a press inquiry and said, eh, not, it's not done yet. You know, it actually hasn't been as swift as as he promised from the looks of it. And um, you tell me whether you think these two agents, when even the photographer who took the original photographs from Reuters has said there was no whipping going on. There was no whip and there was no reins being used to whip anybody. No one got whipped. Um, you tell me whether these guys are still in jeopardy. Yeah, very, very few things will boil my blood as much as a as a president of the United States coming out and issuing a declaration of guilty before an investigation even takes place. The president of the United States said those agents will pay. The reason why this investigation is still ongoing is because everybody knows that they didn't do anything wrong. So they're having to overturn, they're, they're having to turn over every single rock, look in every single nook and cranny to try to find something to justify what the president of the United States says. But it's not just the president. Four of the most powerful people in this country have already condemned those agents to wrongdoing. The president of the United States, the vice president, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, and of course, DHS secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. They have already issued judgment before an investigation could even take place. And to think that an investigation is going to be impartial and fair after for the most powerful people in this country and, and frankly in the world have already said that they did wrong. You can't expect that an investigation is actually going to be fair. And that's why it's taken so long because these agents did nothing wrong. And on top of not doing anything wrong, they did what they were ordered to do. They are executive branch employees and they follow the orders because that the orders come from the president of the United States. The president sent them out to control the border. The president sent them out to ensure that nobody entered the country illegally. But because he's done such a poor job on the border and because everybody knows he's failing, he had to grasp onto these pictures and try to divert from his failures and put it onto somebody else. That's what this president's willing to do. And if he's willing to do that to his own agents, mm. what's he willing to do to the American public at large if, it, if he thinks it's going to benefit him? That's the thing, too, is it's like that guy on that horse was one of his employees, one of our employees, an American here lawfully trying to keep the rest of us safe under presidential orders. The The person he was trying to control was an illegal immigrant who crossed the border without permission, contrary to how the vast majority of immigrants try to get into the country who want to stay. You know, a lot of them wait in line, a lot of them go through the proper hoops. Um, that doesn't deserve that doesn't mean he should be whipped. But he wasn't. He wasn't. I said for weeks, show me the evidence. Great. I'd love to see it. If if somebody got whipped, that's terrible. We'll take a hard look at that. It it wasn't there. And the news media bit by bit, like you see, the New York Times uh, added an addendum to its report saying, well, we may have overstated what's knowable uh, so far. That's as much as I've seen in terms of a retraction. Instead, you get rhetoric like this. Forgive. Hopefully my audience will forgive me for playing this soundbite one more time. But it gives you a flavor. Number two of the left messaging on the pro the real problem down at the southern border. Congress must do the work of investigating and ensuring accountability of the egregious and white supremacist behavior of Border Patrol agents in Del Rio, Texas. What we witness takes us back hundreds of years. What we witnessed was worse than what we witnessed in slavery. Cowboys with their reins again whipping 
black people, Haitians, into the water where they're scrambling and falling down when all they're trying to do is escape from violence in their country. Should we be looking at the budget of Department of Homeland Security? Because I was not aware that whips, um, which come from the slave era, slavery era, were part of the package that we issue to any sort of law enforcement or government sanctioned personnel. Were you aware that that was being issued to people, that people had that kind of equipment on them that they could use on humans? I, I, I was not, and I am quite appalled. Um, you know, when it comes to our immigration policy for so many years, cruelty uh, has been very much embedded in it. Um, there is obviously systematic racism at play here. Um, we have seen many people come to our, our border, and the fact that we are dealing with m mainly black um, migrants and black immigrants uh, and asylum seekers at our border in this kind of way really speaks to the, the kind of racism, systematic racism that is embedded in that department and all of the departments that deal with our immigration policy. Mm, your message to rhetoric. Them. That is rhetoric. They did not give one fact in any one of those statements. They did not give any facts. Megan, all I want to do is have an honest conversation with the American public. I want the American public to formulate their own opinions based upon all of the evidence. That's what I want. The mainstream media wants to lead. The mainstream media wants to force everybody to believe what they, they themselves believe. When you look at the Border Patrol, we have more minorities in the Border Patrol than we do whites. We are the only federal law enforcement agency in the entire nation that has more minorities than we do whites. Yet they're saying that we're racist. Are you are you kidding me? The majority of that horse patrol unit that was out there are Hispanic. They weren't white. They were Hispanics. And on top of that, these individuals that entered the country illegally, they were not list listening to lawful orders. The, the horse patrol agents, the first thing that they did was gave them lawful orders. They didn't listen. They started to run. Of course, we have to control that situation. And on top of that, think about the think about what they were in. They were in the middle of the largest single group that has ever existed in the United States. They had 15,000 people to their backs and they had another um, several hundred people that were trying to cross the border illegally. They were stuck in between that. Everybody knew that this was a very volatile situation. Everybody knew that it could have exploded at any moment, and it did in some cases. Look at what happened on that uh, on that flight back to Port-au-Prince when those ICE agents were attacked um, because the, the, the Haitian um, illegal immigrants found out that they were being sent back to Haiti. They were attacked. They were beaten. Look at that bus driver. Um, who was transporting 56 Haitians in that bus, and they, they literally took the bus over and broke out of the bus. We knew that this was a very volatile situation. Those agents were put in an impossible, impossible situation, and then they get thrown under the bus later on, and political rhetoric is used. I will tell you this, and the American public can be assured of this, we will take legal action against every single one of those people, including the news outlets that reported that they whipped um, those uh, th those migrants. There was no whipping that, that took place. 
at all. In fact, all they were doing was using those reins to keep those individuals away from the horse because those horses can step on. They can even kick migrants, which could cause death if they get kicked in the head. So we are trained to ensure that people do not get too close to the horses. And if we have to twirl the, the reins in order to keep people away, we will do that. But we never strike out at people with those reins. And that has been proven. Even the photographer said that. Mm -hmm. So in closing, what, what, like, I don't, I wouldn't have time to go through all of the 10 point plan that the governors came up with, but what are, what would you say are the top three things that have to happen like now in order to get control over this sieve that is the Southern border? The first thing that we have to do is we have to uh, force the Mexican government to be true border security partners. We've we did that under President Trump. We can do it again. It just takes the political will to make it happen. The second thing is we have to hold people in custody pending their asylum or deportation proceedings. You have to stop the magnet that is catch and release. And the, the third th thing we have to then, once we can control the illegal immigration system, we then have to go after the cartels and their profits. If we can go after the cartels and their profits, we can then keep our children on, um, we can keep our children safe and we can keep the drugs off the streets. So those are the three things that we must do and we must do it immediately. And by the way, once again, not one of those things will cost the taxpayer dollar, the taxpayer a dime. Is this going to happen now with these with the governors of these 10 states or is this more of a demand of the feds? It's a demand. The governors are because they don't have the authority to do any of those things. They don't have the authority to negotiate policies with the Mexican government. That has to be um, the State Department that does that. Um, they don't have the authority to detain these individuals and hold them pending um, court proceedings. What they're doing is they're shining a spotlight on this issue. They are letting the American public know how out of control it is, and they're demanding of this administration that they do their job, that this administration protects the American public. The first thing a government is supposed to do is look out for the welfare of its citizens. Our government is not doing that right now. In fact, they're, they're pandering to illegal immigration rather than looking out for the welfare of the American public. Mm -hmm. And we've seen the deadly consequences of this for years now, for years. This is a dangerous game. Uh, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it, Brandon Judd. Hope you come back. Thank you, Megan. Good to talk Coming to you. up. Uh, all this is hurting Joe Biden. It's hurting him on the polls. Wow. The, the polls when it comes to. Um, let me see. I want to get the exact thing. How he's doing on crossing the border and handling border crossings are disastrous for him. Here it is. Immigration, 25 percent approve, 67 percent disapprove of the job he's doing at the southern border. Can you imagine? 67 percent. It's basically every Republican and every independent in the country, plus some Democrats. Um, coming up, we're going to talk about that, plus his other po uh, poll numbers that we just got out. Hunter Biden's artwork and a violated promise from the White House on that and much, much more with the hosts of the new Ink Stained Wretches podcast. Love it. Eliana Johnson and Chris Dyerwell coming up. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! 
and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Welcome back to The Megyn Kelly Show. It's time for another edition of our feature here on The MK Show called You Can't Say That or Think That or Do That. Oh, wait, this is America. We've been doing that feature on our podcast and we haven't done it since we launched on Sirius XM and YouTube, but you'll love it. <laughs> Today, we're talking about challenges, hardship and the classroom. Here's the question of the day. Is it good for a student to encounter a class that is rigorous? Absolutely not, according to an article in the Chronicles of Higher Education, which makes the case for why it is, quote, time to cancel the word rigor. And why exactly is it time to do that? The authors claim the term rigor lays credit or blame on an individual when often it is the academic system that creates the constructs and it's the system we should be questioning when it erects barriers for students to surmount or makes them feel that they don't belong. Ah, yes. Making your class a challenge for students to overcome is now about excluding those students who aren't up for said challenge. Yes, the authors write that rigor is an exclusionary concept that leads to preferential practices. And it's not just rigor they have a problem with. No, grit is also bad. It's a bad thing in today's snowflakes culture, with the authors linking to another article that makes the case for why grit is, quote, inherently anti-black. So remember, if you are a teacher that's daring to put together a class that is not properly simple, so all students remain unchallenged at all times, and you introduce the concept of rigor or grit into your teachings, well, you can't say that. Steve Krakauer, you know what? Uh, whenever I see these stories, I think, great, my kids are going to crush these kids. My kids, when they meet these kids from these schools, are going to freaking crush. Right. I mean, just the idea of working hard, you don't even have to be smart. If you work hard, you have a leg up now because apparently that's that's, you know, impossible to do these days. That's that's inappropriate to right. uh, to be challenged. Right. In fact, if you just make it challenging as a teacher, that's your racism. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's it's offensive now. You you must you must dumb everything down so no one can be challenged at all. That that's that's clear. I mean, they're getting rid of gifted and talented programs. It's 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 unbelievable. But this is this is happening everywhere. It's insane. By the way, that's our executive producer, Steve Krakauer, just back from paternity leave. He's got a brand new baby in addition to his other child, Jackson. And we're Grateful to have him back. Um, back. Don't go away because we're going to have Chris Dyerwalt and Eliana Johnson next, right after this break. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. 
You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back to The Megan Kelly Show. I am joined now by Eliana Johnson, editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon, and my old pal Chris Steyerwalt, contributing editor of the online news magazine The Dispatch Now. They are both co-hosts of the new podcast Ink Stained Wretches, which I'm sorry, Steyerwalt, I don't mean to presume that you came up with that, but it's got your name written all over it. And I mean that in the nicest way. <laughs> there, there may be some Steyerwaltian notes uh, engaged with that, but uh, we are both. In we, the event that you hate it, it was all Chris. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but we're, we're, but we're both, uh, both started in print media uh, and uh, we fight nostalgia. We don't want to be nostalgia, nostalgic for how things used to be. But that's definitely our bias was for when things sucked less. Mm. <laughs> yes, I share that. I'm surprised that you managed to keep the name Bacon out of it, Eliana. How did I mean, did he fight hard? <laughs> She's Jewish. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, as the as the resident Jew on the podcast, I told him, like, try to limit the amount of pork products and references. Hard, hard line. Are right, there's so much to go over. Let me start with Biden's poll numbers, because I just had uh, the head of the Border Patrol on. We were talking about the disgusting numbers on immigration and Mexican border for President Biden. Good Lord, they're terrible. This is the Quinnipiac poll um, showing the Biden's approval rating on handling the the Mexican border in particular is 23 percent, 67 percent disapproved and immigration overall, 25 percent approval rating. But overall, in general, these poll numbers are terrible. Overall, his approval rating is now at 38 percent, 50 percent disapproving. What do you guys make of it? You know, Megan, it seems to me, I mean, these are Trump level approval ratings, and we heard lots of talk about that, of course, for four years. But I think the first, um, you know, nine months of the Biden administration have sort of undermined his performances, undermined the perception he wanted or what he ran on, which was that he's a competent moderate and that he's going to bring in a lot of experienced technocrats. And it may be that he did bring in experienced technocrats, but they have, I think, not been a match for the issues he's facing from, uh, you mentioned, the influx of migrants on the southern border to the pullout from Afghanistan to the um, back and forth confusing guidance on the coronavirus. Uh, The pause of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, I think, was really damaging under Biden. Um, So, And right now we see Congress um, unable to pass a bipartisan infrastructure bill and really Biden's domestic agenda hanging in the balance. So I don't Mm -hmm. think it's too hard to explain those approval ratings. The Afghanistan numbers are reflected in here, Steyerwalt, in that uh, commander in chief, 37 percent of the people approve, 58 percent disapprove foreign policy, 34 percent approval, 58 percent disapprove. They're terrible. I mean, they're really sucking wind. So how how long do these things kind of stay on you? Right. Does the stank stay to the midterm elections and drag down the Democratic ticket? Well, the the good news for Democrats is that it's uh, probably happening too early uh, and that Biden has time for this to come back. we have to remember the you said what it was 26 percent in Quinnipiac on handling of the border. Uh, uh, 23 percent is what I wrote down. 25 percent. So the 20, the what 77 percent or whatever, or the uh, the the overwhelming majority <laughs> that oppose Biden on this and say that he's doing a bad job include all of the Republicans. So that's 47 percent of the country. And then it includes uh, Democrats who think that he's being too hard. And uh, the we we saw this happen with Obamacare. 
Obamacare was consistently unpopular. Obamacare was consistently unpopular for two reasons. All of the Republicans thought it was too liberal, and some of the Democrats thought it was too conservative. So what Biden is struggling with right now is that his own party does not really want him to secure the border. His own party doesn't really want him to do these things. Uh, there and his is, own party wanted him to pull out of Afghanistan along right. with, uh, you know, and they probably they probably the right. thought he should have been uh, nicer uh, pulling out in the uh, I, you know, the bombing, the, the drone strike against the people that the Pentagon came out and said was a mistaken hit, uh, probably cost him with some Democrats. The challenge for Democrats always is they don't. So, you know, you and I have talked many times about this, the concept of a mommy party and a daddy party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Republicans are the, supposed to be the daddy party. They're supposed to be tougher and they're supposed to be fiscally restrained and they're supposed to be they're supposed to kill terrorists and keep immigrants from coming into the country. And the mommy party is supposed to be nice to people and make sure that everybody gets college education and has health insurance. When Democrats have to do daddy party stuff and do things like, say, 10,000 Haitian immigrants can't just run across the United States border. When you do that, what's going to happen? You're going to lose with your own base. Biden's problem is right now, more than anything else, that his own base is frustrated with him and not being able to deliver the stuff that they want. But you think that's more of a problem than the loss of independence reflected in these polls? I mean, when it comes to winning elections, you know, he needs he needs the independence. He needs some some crossover. You have time to get the independence back. So but for Biden, you have time to, to come back if the economy, basically, if the economy is growing and in 2024. But it, if, will it be? Uh, oh, 2024. Well, but I'm talking about the midterms, which is, much, which is what's more interesting. Because right now we got inflation out the yin yang and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better <laughs> anytime soon. I actually think the problem is a little bit different. Yes, Biden is losing independent voters because he's not handling the border in a competent fashion. But... Um, He's a party man. And so he has largely gone along with the left wing of his party. And the regnant ideology in the Democratic Party is an elite ideology. You know, wokeism and the far left. uh, That is the province of wealthy white elites on the coast. And by and large, the Democratic Party uh, is more moderate than that, which is why Biden was elected. But Biden tends to go along with the loudest voices in his party, which you saw as recently as last week when the White House and Nancy Pelosi were saying we're holding a vote on this bipartisan infrastructure bill before we have any sort of Psych. agreement on. Yeah, before we right. have any sort of agreement on the three point five trillion dollar boondoggle. And basically they caved to the left on that. Yeah. When you ask about the impact on the midterms, I think it could be that we're dealing with an entirely different set of issues. Things move quickly. On the other hand, it could be that these issues do hang over Biden because there's some fallout. There's a terrorist attack from Afghanistan mm. or mm. He doesn't manage to pass any kind of infrastructure yeah, bill. Uh, and he's got what? Well, what are they going to run on? You, Something's you see Terry pass. McAuliffe right now in Virginia. And he's saying, like, Biden's a problem for him. Yeah. So but, if that's the. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, when when yeah, is yeah, the Virginia yeah. election? When is the Virginia election? Uh, three weeks from Tuesday. OK, so so Governor Ralph Northam is out and the contest is between Terry McAuliffe. And I can I can never say the guy's name. Glenn. Glenn Glenn. Glenn Youngkin. Youngkin. I, I'm like, I want to pronounce it like Young, like like Carl Young. It's like, just think Youngkin. of him as a rapper, Youngkin. He's Youngkin. Kid. Okay. <laughs> anyway, he's uh, he's doing well. I mean, he's this guy. Youngkin's doing better than we thought in Virginia. He's the Republican. A Republican hasn't won at the governor level since 2006 in Virginia, according to my notes. And um, 
So that it's interesting what's happening there because McAuliffe was beating him by 6.6 and at the end of August. Now the lead, according to the Real Clear Politics average of all polls, is down to 4.3. And McAuliffe, Tara McAuliffe, the, the Clinton administration is like, Biden who? F Joe Biden. I don't know who's who is that? I he, he's really trying to distance himself, saying, Oh, yeah, I don't support the 3.5 trillion uh infrastructure uh plan. And, you know, I'm really facing some headwinds from Washington. Uh, but you tell me, because I think that's going to that's earlier than the midterms. And I think that the, all of this is a drag on him. So um, in the last 11 Virginia gubernatorial elections in nine out of 10 out of the 11, nine out of the 11, I'm sorry, Samantha Goldstein, research assistant extraordinaire is with us uh, in nine of the past 11 Virginia gubernatorial elections. The outcome of the election was predictive of how midterms were, were going to go. This has been a really good bellwether over. And we remember in 2009 when Bob McDonnell and Chris Christie won in Virginia and New Jersey, that that was a big harbinger for why Republicans were going to do well in 2010. The 2009 uh, elections in Virginia were important. Um, I don't expect uh, for uh, Glenn Youngkin to win. I, I, I don't think that's probably what's going to happen. He is, I'll give him a one in five chance. I think he's... Uh, it, it, Megan, it, cut that clip so that when Youngkin wins, you can play that over and over again. Well, I don't I don't <laughs> expect, you know, this was a thing that we went through in 2016 where people were like, well, you said Trump wasn't going to win. I said Trump is probably not going to win. Uh, you wouldn't get in an oh elevator that had a one in five chance of... started on that. A, the number of conversations you and I had, Steyerwald, on whether Trump was going to win that race. I mean, I could really bring that back to haunt you at the moment. <laughs> no, I, I, ne- I never thought Trump was likely to win, but I never said he couldn't. Uh, and I oh, would my put God. Youngkin if in- I could just play the tape that's in my brain, you, you would be totally impeached with your prior inconsistent statement. I am willing to be impeached, Counselor. Well, let me make the young- <laughs> case for Youngkin. OK. OK. Virginia is now a Democratic state. It is a suburban Democratic state. Biden won the state by 10 points. Mark Warner, the Democratic senator, won re-election by 12 points in 2020. And the internals on each of these campaigns show basically a tied race. So no. I think Yunkin is doing much better than people expected. No. Uh, and I, if he loses, no. I think his margin of loss is, or his margin, sorry, yeah, McCall's margin, of, margin of victory will be smaller Virginia, than Biden's Virginia is a 45% Republican state. That's how Republican Virginia is. It's 45% Republican. There have been three candidates since 2012 who under or overperformed those numbers. One time, they Republicans nominated a kook uh, who got 40% of the vote. Uh, one time, uh, Mark Obenshane, shout out to all the Obenshane fans out there, uh, got uh, basically within 300 votes of winning attorney general. And the best performance for Republicans in Virginia in the current post-Bob McDonnell era was when former RNC chairman Ed Gillespie, Ed Gillespie. came very close. Okay. Very, it's a very close. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's move on. Let's move on. We don't care this much governor. about Virginia. I got to keep you guys on track. We care a little right. about Virginia, but not quite this much. Um, let's move on because I do I care about Hunter Biden. No, no. A Cliffy. <laughs> Cliffy, <laughs> reel it in. <laughs> um, let's talk about Hunter Biden, who you're going to be shocked that the White House appears to have broken a promise to us on his art, on his artwork. And you're also going to be shocked to learn that some people want to spend between 75000 they say maybe up to a million dollars on Hunter Biden's artwork. I will say as an aside, given Hunter Biden's past, like the art world seems like a decent place for him to land. 
You know, all that weirdness. <laughs> it's like that kind of helps you in the art world, right? Like, like nobody fair, holds fair. that against you. A lot of people, um, lot of people have been to prison and then were famous artists, so that's good, right? So that's like, that okay. being said, I don't think these people are shelling out for the art, Megan. Okay, what they're a shock! They're not shelling out the five hundred k for the for the beautiful. So, artwork. can you help the audience understand what's gone on here? He's doing the art, and he had a big art show last night. It's on Muckety Muck Gallery, and I recognize a bunch of the faces. And yet, we were told in the White House something else was going to happen. We were told. It's sort of going to be the blind, a blind sale of the Hunter Biden artwork where we wouldn't he wouldn't know who spent all the money on his beautiful art. And thus sort of the Chinese wall was in place to protect, you know, the White House from doing favors for any of these purchasers. Is that basically the deal that we were promised? The ethical myopia of the Trump administration was made uh, correctly. Uh, much sport of. People talked a lot about how people use the Trump Hotel in uh, other ways, uh, the uh, the big, beautiful golf courses of Doral and all that other stuff mm-hmm. to try to influence Trump. These were fair and correct criticisms, and they never did the Donald Trump never did the right thing ethically as president. What got Hunter, wall-to-wall mainstream media coverage. What mm-hmm. Hunter Biden is doing and what, uh, what is happening now is an ethical quagmire, uh, should be an emoluments clause discussion, should be all of this stuff. How possibly could you defend? Uh, I think back to uh, George H.W. Bush wrote a letter to his sons when he was running for president. And he said, you know what? Life is hard and you're going to have to forego a lot of things that you might otherwise be able to get because I'm running for president. But you're going to have to forego them and you're going to have to do the right stuff, because if you want to be in public life, there are sacrifices you have to make. This is gross. This is inappropriate. This is uh, uh, ethically and morally uh, just re- just a disaster. And the fact that they're not being called on it is why we should have a podcast called Ink Stained Wretches where we talk about what's wrong with the media. <laughs> I tell you, I have another example for you. This is a, several years ago. Kate Middleton got in trouble because she decided to sunbathe um, topless out on some balcony oh, really? where she thought she was you know, in private, Hit but me she, up got on Insta. she got caught. <laughs> <laughs> One she of the two of caught. us is very eager to see those images. <laughs> By the paparazzi. And, you know, somebody was asking me if I felt sorry for her. And I said, no, I do not feel sorry for her because you have to make some sacrifices if you're going to be the next queen of England. And that's just yep. the way life works. Same thing, you know, the message and from HW. And you're gorgeous and men want to see you topless. I feel yeah, so sorry like, for you. You know what? You're same, married same. to, you know, the good, the, the good brother. So you, you got nothing to complain <laughs> about. Um, and that's, yes. that's the position I guess Hunter Biden finds himself in, in which, you know, trying to earn money off of donors, potential donors to his dad's next campaign can cause headaches for himself and, well, really more accurately for his dad. So Jen Psaki was asked about this obvious conflict and problem uh, by a bunch of reporters, actually, at the White House press corps. And here's how that went. What is the White House's response to the fact that an ambassador nominee was at this event? And secondly, should we expect to see more people who seek jobs in this administration attending events like this in future? Well, to be clear, we've spoken to the arrangement that is run by the gallerist uh, and Hunter Biden's uh, representatives that the White House provided suggestions for. I'd refer you to the gal- gallerist for questions. This is exactly what ethicists said they were worried about. What is specifically? The fact that, uh, the, that the president's That he son... reportedly attended an event. So does this White House not have any concerns about uh, the photos that have emerged of showing Hunter Biden at that gallery alongside prospective buyers? I point you to the gallerist on uh, specifics of the restrictions that were put in place. Great. But what about the position of this White House? This is a president who ran on being transparent and you've got... And we were very transparent about what recommendations were made to the gallerist. uh, And I would again point to them or the many times I've spoken about that from here. She's going to circle back. (laughs) 
The gallerist. We didn't realize when the White House made this announcement that it was just providing soft recommendations that the gallerist was free the to gallerist. <laughs> the gallerist was free to adhere to or toss in the wastebasket. But they point I, out something important there about uh, L.A. Mayor Garcetti, who's our nominee to be ambassador to India. And surprisingly, he was there just because he loves art. He's a big, big fan of weird big flowers. Best. It was it was it was a toss up between Rembrandt and Hunter Biden. <laughs> um, yeah, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars being funneled to the son of a sitting U.S. president, uh, presumably by people who would like to curry favor with this president and are using Hunter Biden's art as a means to do that. Do you know where uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, MK, do you remember uh, where the National Gallery of Art is that backs up on Pennsylvania Avenue? Uh, I have no culture in my life, so no, I never uh, went there, and I'm well, not do you, familiar. Do you remember where the museum was? Do you remember where the Capitol Grill is? Yes, the Capitol Grill, I know. Now we're talking oh, about Oh, now we're talking, now we're talking now about what Now you're back in my world. world. <laughs> so on that location is where uh, President James A. Garfield was assassinated. He mm-hmm. was murdered. That was the former site of the B&O Railroad uh, Terminal before they built Union Station. The person who killed... James A. Garfield. Wake me up when this is oh, over. Oh, now, okay. <laughs> this is the, now you're getting a good taste of what the podcast actually sounds like. But ja- James A. Garfield was killed by a deranged office seeker who wanted favors from the federal government. And James Garfield was a reformer and said, we're not going to do as much of this crummy patronage stuff and all of this other stuff. And this man, Charles Gateau, shot him right there in that spot. Giving away free stuff, the power to have influence, the power to make money, the power to do all this stuff for privilege and influence people is not new. This is not a new problem. Mm -hmm. And everyone will always act morally obtuse about it. Uh, The Trump kids did. uh, The Biden people are. We should call all of them on it all of the time because what it adds up to is a theft of, of their responsibility. They're stealing from us, even if it's not in money. They're stealing from us what they owe us, which is to put the interests of the country ahead of everything else and not even by a close margin. Mm. All right. We have so much more to go over. I want to get in. I want to ask you about Katie Couric's new book. I want to ask you about Stephanie Grisham turning on uh, the Trump administration two seconds after she's out of it. And then I want to ask about the three of us cable news veterans and how we think uh, the media industry is doing without us. (laughs) The cable news media industry, that is. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Okay, apropos of absolutely nothing, I just wanted to play this soundbite and get your reaction. Justin Trudeau, the wokest blackface wearing man in politics, has taken a shot at saying there's, you know, LGBT, it used to be LGB, and then it was like LGBT, and then it was LGBTQ, and now apparently it's LGBTQ two plus, and he's not so good at saying that, the wokest man in woke politics. Take a listen to this. I will never apologize for standing up for an LGDP, uh, LGT, LBT, <laughs> LGBTQ2 plus uh, kids' rights. I mean, who among us, right? 
When the debate comes down about which country is the whitest country in the world and they can like Iceland and Greenland are like duking it out, Canada better be in there because that is the kind of awkwardness that only (laughs) white men can really deliver at such a high level. That's very impressive. (laughs) He followed it up on Facebook and there he got it right. This is um, so this is what he tweeted. People across the country are lighting candles to honor indigenous women, girls and two S. LGBTQQIA plus people who no. are missing or have been murdered and so on, blah, 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 blah. It's, so it's two, two S. Counselor, two you're making S-L. that up. That is Listen not a Listen to thing. me. Oh, contraire. It stands for oh, two-spirit. <laughs> they have their, no, their own letters now. <laughs> two-spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, and asexual people. Oh, my God. It's exhausting. Same, same, same. <laughs> I feel seen. Finally, how, finally, someone speaking out to the two SQ community. This two, is two finally, spirits. finally. I, I feel ident- I, I feel I feel identified. I'm the plus. I've, I think. Yeah, you're the. You're always Honestly, the plus. Yeah. Like I've said before, well, I, questioning doesn't get its own letter. That's bullshit. Why, what's question? Right. You don't get your own letter. Check us out later. Come back to it's us ridiculous. later. You're questioning now. You can always call back and tell well, us no, what you're into. Well, no, once you're not questioning, you're out unless you decide well, like you're LGBTQ. Like, you don't have to list it and then just check out later. Like if you want to well, be gay later, then holler. Why can't the Q stand for both queer and questioning? Why do they get a second Q? That's where it really starts to go off the rails. Think of all the money we're wasting on paper, throwing extra cues in there. That's, that we're just, this is, and so that's bad for the earth. That's bad for global warming. Extra, extra I object. Pictures. I object to all of this. And I feel confident that my pal, Andrew Sullivan, would back me up on this. Um, okay. In other salacious news, can we just spend, because we're going to get to Fox and CNN um, and all that stuff. But I just got to spend a minute on Stephanie Grisham, who is Melania's press secretary and then moved up to the White House press secretary. Um and she she left the White House like she says she resigned 15 minutes after Melania refused to or did I say after Trump Trump's press secretary anyway she says she resigned 15 minutes after um, Melania refused to condemn the January 6th riot in the way that she had suggested to her she wanted to say something and Melania allegedly texted back no she didn't want to weigh in and Stephanie Grisham says 15 minutes later I resigned I walked around carrying my resignation letter I will say in general I don't I don't love the I worked for the person and I cashed the paycheck and then five minutes later when something really controversial happened I quit now I condemn everything and I tell everything that I wasn't supposed to tell and you break the confidence that you're supposed to I don't know it's just the whole thing is unseemly Uh, and I know Stephanie a little and I understand she struggled with abuse in her life and stuff like that but I I just in the end, I opted not to invite her on because it just feels unseemly to me. Uh, but here's just a little clip of what she's saying, because I'd love to get your reaction to this press tour. I had been trying to resign, actually, for the past six, seven months. And um, she had always talked me out of it and, and you know, asked me to stay strong. I actually had a resignation letter in a folder with no date for the last four months of the administration that I, I just wanted to hand over. If if necessary, it was that bad for me. You weren't a short timer. I mean, no. you, you were a lifer. Yeah, you were a lifer. Yeah. So the number of choices that you made over five or six years, mm-hmm. it's immeasurable. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it's it's hard to say, oh, I just realized now after six years yes. that this was all a yeah, really yeah. bad idea, yep. a deadly ah. in some cases bad idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have had a lot of time to think about that. Oh, and again, <laughs> not an excuse, but I worked on the, the East Wing side of the house for two and a half years of oh, that. No. And so, again, naive as it may sound, I was really kind of blocked off from the West Wing. 
Come on. I just, I just, she was the only person in the country who had no idea what was going on in the White House. I mean, either stand by it or don't, right? You don't have to endorse everything that Trump did if you work for Trump. But you either say, look, on balance, I found him more of a positive force than a negative force. That's why I stayed. Or say, my God. I find like crazy about the mainstream coverage of this is she's now on every show. And when she was in the White House, I covered the Trump White House um, for four years at Politico. And left wing. (laughs) And uh, like she was not credible, a total liar. And now that she's out of the White House and bashing Trump, like, oh, we all got to listen to her and take what she says at face value. Um, I think it's ridiculous. And and I share your distaste, Megan, I think for people who go and work uh, ostensibly for the country and then uh, try to, uh, in this case, recover their reputations and cash in on that service by throwing their old bosses. I like uh, like what Mattis did. You know, Mattis, he he wasn't getting along. He exited screen left, didn't write a book. He left with his dignity. Like, just do that. If it's not working out, just just do that. You know, uh, Counselor, you and I are part of a very small group of people in the world uh, who formerly worked for the Fox News Channel and uh, who don't anymore and have never done, have never tried to go cash in on saying stuff about what happened at Fox. I looked at Every time you pay me, and this applies to the Dispatch and the American Enterprise Institute, uh, where I am very privileged to get to be a senior, fe- senior, fe- senior fellow now. <laughs> yes, a senior fellow. Who uh, is this senior, brilliant research assistant? What's fellow. her name? Maybe we have uh, to are there any her. junior fellows at, at a? Uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there yeah, are. Yeah, we're 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 printing them like uh, hundred dollar bills. But I anyway. want your head to get too big. No, no, no. I trust me. My head is big enough by genetics. I don't need any extra. <laughs> this is as big but, as it goes. But but here's the thing. Every time my paycheck clears, it covers everything up to that moment, right? Uh, that is an implicit contract between me and my employer that I cannot have a, a, a seizure of, of conscience the day after the paycheck clears. Yeah. We're up to date every other Friday. And for people who take the money, and you know the 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 Latin word for the reason that we uh, the Latin word for salary and salt, our word for so be worth your salt. Uh, you get your salt, you get your pay, and when you get your pay, that covers everything that came before it. And then you can quit or you can leave. And I respect Stephanie Grisham for quitting. And there were a lot of people who quit uh, in or around January six because of the disgusting conduct of the president around that stuff, da-da-da-da-da. But you don't then get to go back before that and say, ah, while I was taking the money and enjoying the celebrity of this, now I have other thoughts around that. That's a bunch of bogus bogus. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it's like, look, I can speak to this. When I was at NBC, I saw some things going down and there is a segment. You can go back and Google it. I believe it yep. was September 4th of 2018 where I went on the air and called out Andy Lack by name. You did it in real time. Somebody who lied about the, well, their investigation into Harvey Weinstein and why it was spiked and so on. And um, a month after that, I no longer worked for NBC. Um, it was a but, very proud. I've always been proud to be your friend, but that was one of my proudest days to be your uh, friend. Thank you, Chris. And we were nervous about it. I mean, it's nervous. To, it's hard to go out and do something like that. You were right. You were right to be nervous because oh, they right. fired your ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll just for the record, they canceled my show. I'll leave the yeah, firing question out into the ether. Um, but it, I, you don't you know, it's not to say you've got to go, go run to the cameras every time your employer does something you find controversial. But I just like these tell all books just make me feel uncomfortable. But not when it's about your life. I feel like Katie Kirk's in a different situation. She's had time between her time at 
NBC or time at CNN. And now apparently she's coming out with a book called Going There. It doesn't even hit yet, but it's made so many headlines on the Daily Mail, which I love um, that CBS has dumped her interview. CBS announced just based on the Daily Mail, I guess, that it's canceling her promotional interview. She was all set to do with Gail King. Um, She's getting hit because she admits she wouldn't help younger women while at NBC because like Ashley Banfield, she said, because she would have considered it self-sabotage. She believed Ashley Banfield's dad was running around saying Ashley was going to get Katie's job. And that's why she felt that way. Ashley, who's, I have to say, always a class act. I love Ashley Banfield, came out and said, um, she's, yeah, she does. But she came out and said, I'm really hurt by that. And by the way, my dad was senile and in a nursing home. And I don't know what you're talking about, but he, no. Um, (laughs) Anyway, Deborah Norville, uh, I guess she said Deborah Norville had relentless perfection that was off putting to viewers. Deborah Norville's now come out and saying like, I'm so stunned by these comments. I can't even respond. And on and on it goes, comments about Diane Sawyer. So what do you make of Katie Couric sort of going there, as the title says, on everyone. I'm going to shut up immediately, but just to say that this is, in fact, Eliana's, uh, is this your uh, obsession for this week's this episode? This my obsession. Of, oh, so oh, this, good. If you, if you enjoy hey, this segment, uh, please subscribe to Ink Stained Wretches. <laughs> Look, on Katie, Megan, <laughs> like, you kind of have to applaud her transparency for saying, I tried to kneecap these other women like i appreciate the honesty there but there's another portion of the book where she says i just had no idea roger ailes was a pig and i had no idea jeffrey epstein was a pervert and i didn't know about harvey weinstein and i didn't know about matt lauer but the book is about how she's like an intrepid journalist Mm. uh but somehow all these gross men got by her by the way men who could presumably help advance her career so Mm. i i like the transparency on the kneecapping other women even if i don't like the meaning of it i think i think that often happens and it's like nice to see somebody admit that she did it um but i think she's not being totally candid on uh in the pervert file Mm, in the pervert file i would say you know spinoff podcast (laughs) we'll be we'll be running that one uh look for for us on it's like endless endless content you're going to be really, really busy. Um, I saw you guys did. You, you already did a great thing about Chris Cuomo, which I recommend to everybody because since um, speaking of the pervert file, um, I think I will say this just for the record. I take pride in having mentored a lot of young women coming up behind me. And Roger Ailes, speaking of Roger, he did give me a great piece of advice once. And I took it to heart, which was you should never feel threatened by young women coming up after you, especially the ones who try to emulate you or they they do your hair. Or they they, you know. They copy your hair or they copy your wardrobe or your style because there's only one you, you know, and no matter how hard anybody tries to copy or whatever they do, there's only one you. So you focus on your own game, make your own game an A plus, and then you can you can lift those coming up behind you instead of worrying about them. That has worked anybody, for me. Has anybody on this podcast uh, or the, this radio show uh, ever had their haircut written up in the New York Times? <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> It was you. <laughs> I'm aspiring to that level yeah, yeah. where, like, the New one, York Times gives a crap who's yeah, cutting one, my hair. One, one day when you get a haircut, it will receive notice in the New <laughs> oh, York Times. I'll, I'll I totally, I totally believe that. That when you will follow in the footsteps of Megan, and one day your hair stylings will be a matter of the that public so record crazy. in America's newspaper. That was, what, that was Megan, during my I whole dust-up like, Back in the day, I think my first like big TV interview was with you when you had the daytime show at Fox, and I can testify that. You were wonderful and uh, the, the most very fun, impressive. The most fun mm-hmm. I've ever had in television, bar none. There's not a second. There's not a close second. Was mm-hmm. daytime, nighttime with you, uh, prime time with you was a lot of fun. But the one o'clock and two o'clock hours, 
was just the best, the most delightful television I ever got to do. It was Aww. truly fun, truly enjoyable. It was so fun. I have to say, so both of those shows, the, the one o'clock to three and then the nine o'clock that we did in the primetime were number one in their time slot and, and nine oh, o'clock wound up being number one in cable news. But we led with you every night. Every night we like it's just sex the appeal. Kelly file. It's just, that's, it's just raw sex appeal. It's just what America <laughs> desires is more hillbillies with pumpkin heads. That's what everybody all the time says. Can Megan we brought wear a, a sex bow tie? Appeal and you brought like the Grover Cleveland. I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna, well, I was about no, to say together we averaged out as an, a, a normal looking person. Yeah, five. You guys are a <laughs> right. five. Together we averaged out as a five. <laughs> Stop it. No, but it was, so, it was tons of fun. It was tons of work and it really was. Cable's, com- it's complicated and it's certainly more complicated now. And I've read a lot of your criticisms of the business, Chris, and I, I agree with them. You know, it's sort of devolved to a dark place where it's all about just, clicks and stoking outrage and not really delivering the news in a way that I think you certainly have a history of doing. And I'd like to believe I've tried to. Um, And Eliana, you were at Politico and um, then and now with a free beacon, Politico's left leaning. It is. And uh, free beacons, right leaning. And can you just tell me, because our EP, Steve Krakauer, I didn't actually realize this happened to you on CNN because you were also a CNN contributor at the time. So what happened? Uh, I. I had a wonderful time at Politico. I really have only the most like only kind things to say about them. Um, but I was ready for a new challenge. And I I was at the time a CNN contributor for two years. Um, and the day I announced that I was leaving to go run the free beacon, which, by the way, like, you know, I, I'm not into like the category checking, but I'm like the first woman to be the editor in chief of a conservative magazine. So it wasn't like nothing. Uh, CNN told me, like, we're not renewing your contract. Wow. And I, it's, I think it's pretty clear they've become um, they've become a, an arm of the Democratic Party and there's just no room on the network for, I think, intelligent conservative voices. I don't know how Mary Catherine Ham does it because she, she's one. She she's holding she on. I love her. I want to sort of go by with the flowered van and get her. Um, but I'm sure it helps pay the bills. And Mary Catherine Ham is such a lovely and sympathetic person. Like even CNN couldn't. The other MK. We love you, too. That's right. Yeah, we love her, too. So and that leads me to you, my friend, Starwalt, which is, you know, you left Fox News. I was so sad to see it happened. And, I, and for the record, I knew you were busy and you weren't paying attention to our podcast. But one of the other people I love is Stephen Crowder. His episode remains hugely popular in our archives, by the way. He was coming after you pretty good after the election in the Arizona call saying Fox News called it. It wasn't about you. It was about the decision desk. They called it too early. They called it too early. And I was battling right back saying, you got to know these guys. They're the utmost professionals. You know, I I trust them. I trust them. And you've you've been proven right. Um, Now, people could still say it was too early um, while still not arguing with the result. I don't want to get back into all that. I do want to get into what a, a headline I saw that made me feel sad, which you said it was heartbreaking and humiliating when uh, a, a month later, Fox fired you. And it was heartbreaking for me, too. Can we just talk well, about that? That was that that was that interview. I was taken by surprise in an interview with Australian Broadcasting uh, talking about what was going on in the 2020 election. And I had to talk about what it was like to have to tell my sons. And uh, mm-hmm. it was hard. Uh, being, uh, I, I was not the only person uh, who lost a job in the past year, uh, and it was hard for all of them to lose a job. To get fired sucks. Uh, nobody likes it. Um, but to do so in the public eye too, I think, is extra hard. Yeah, but I got. You know what? Um, God is good all the time, and uh, I definitely. It was a 
I spent a decade at Fox and am proud of all the work I did there and never said anything that wasn't I didn't think was true and never uh, did less than I thought was my best. Uh, but they don't owe me a living and they don't owe me a job. And that's OK. Mm. Uh, what is even better is that as I have watched cable news in general, uh, Fox in particular, uh, my my stuff doesn't fit their business model. Right. My content does not work for what they're doing. And I totally understand that because the whole point of me is that I will try to cheerfully, I hope, uh, in a friendly neighborhood way, tell you what you don't want to hear too. The mm. difference between news and entertainment is that in the news, sometimes we have to tell you what you don't want to hear. Uh, Glenn Youngkin might win Virginia's gubernatorial election, but I don't think he's likely to win Virginia's gubernatorial election. Mm -hmm. If you want to tune in someplace where people will just tell you what you want to hear, I'm not going to work for that because I'm going to say it how it is. Then or you're going to hear McAuliffe stealing it. Then we'll hear McAuliffe <laughs> stealing it. And you know, we just uh, we were uh, on Insane Wretches this week. We talked about how AT and T funded the One America News Network, yeah, uh, and put all this money by o behind OANN to be a competitive Fox. So here's AT and T, parent company of CNN, putting money behind this goofball. Uh, ha can 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 I say half-assed on your show? Yeah, I uh, some guys yelling at me for saying fucking on the podcast yesterday. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, you gotta go check the archives. Whoa, I'm so glad I didn't know I could use that. <laughs> word no, until don't right encourage, now. don't encourage her, don't encourage her, <laughs> Megan. But so here's this half-assed network that is not doing a a good job and not trying to tell the truth and all that stuff. And it was relatively cheap for AT and T to fund them to dump this hot garbage out into the space. So I guess w my my point is. I have been, if you would have told me that you and I would get to do what we did, that I would get to be on your show, that we'd get to do all those debates and do all that stuff and go around the country and do those things, uh, that I would sit down in a movie theater one day <laughs> and there'd be Charlize Theron playing you and no. me in a split screen with her, I would have said, there's no way that could ever happen. Who am I but a simple country pundit? And we did it. And it was great yeah. and it was fantastic. And now this is fantastic and it's all fine and it I, will all be okay. I love the way you describe that. I, that's how I see you too. And I think unfortunately people took out their rage about Trump's loss uh, on you and to some larger extent, the Fox decision desk, which has a lot For of sure. people, by the way, it's not just Chris. I mean, like, I don't know why it's Chris the great got Arnon, or as we call him now, Q Arnon. Yeah. <laughs> Arden Michigan is the head of it. QR none. That's amazing. Anyway, um, you're right. That's what you did for many, many years is you gave it to us straight. And then you'd have me, you know, that's that's what you were missing. That's why it fell apart at the end, because you didn't have me beating you up a little bit and then you standing your ground. That was that was a formula that worked. Can I can I tell you can I tell you when uh your former producer asked me and I was the first time I appeared on your primetime show? And uh, we wrapped and <laughs> I'm in the lobby walking out afterwards. And he goes, how do you think it went? I said, you know, the steam catapults that they have to shoot the F-14 Tomcats off of the deck of the aircraft carrier in the high seas. That was what I just did because it was high impact, high intensity. <laughs> you bring the heat, sister. You bring oh. the heat. Well, listen, I, I know that this is going to be successful because truly if here's a note to the viewers, if you find yourself listening to somebody like Steyerwald or Elian or anybody saying something that doesn't comport with your worldview, right? Like you don't like what he's saying, uh, whatever, maybe take his example. McAuliffe is going to win and Youngkin's going to lose. And if you find yourself doing this, this is a visual for those that li just listening. I'm 
batting my eyelashes a lot, like like I'm, I'm about to get hit, then you need to reconsider the way you consume your news, right? Like you you can take the hit if it's information you may need. You may not like it. You may not wind up even accepting it. But it's not a great idea to attack the messenger for offering what they believe to be the, the facts, right? And somebody like Steyerwalt's in a position to actually know them on a night like election night. And he was he was right. Trump did lose Arizona. And even if he hadn't, he still would have lost the election. I know people don't like that, people who are Trump fans, but it's not Chris's fault. And Chris, for years and years and years, sat out there on that Fox News set, giving you very fair and balanced information and, and often had a lot of little darlings for for people on the right, um, <laughs> all of which should not be forgotten. You know, you call it both ways. You just don't go with the tide either way. And that's important in today's day and age when mostly the tide goes left and you need honest brokers saying, hey, the sa- here I am. The, sa- the saying goes, uh, with or without a fre- offense to friend or foe, we sketch your world exactly as it goes. And that's the idea. The idea is that we want, and this is, I think, I don't want to speak for Eliana, but I think what we're calling our colleagues to, two things will be required to save journalism and to save media and to save America. Uh, Americans will have to become better and more educated consumers. This is not a passive action. Uh, Citizenship in a republic is not a passive activity. Uh, You better be better. Uh, And if you can be tricked into, if Facebook can own you, then you're too dumb and please don't vote. Uh, But the other part is, this is a vocation. This is a calling. You have to be serious about this work matters to you. It's not just because you have a Twitter account that makes you a journalist. This is a vocation. We are called to do this work and it matters and we better take it serious. We don't have to take ourselves seriously, but we have to take the work seriously. Mm-hmm. And the third is bacon. Always. Eliana, well. Starwalt, <laughs> such a pleasure. You guys, great, great luck with it. I'll definitely be listening and have been. And uh, I know it's going to do super well because of you, too. Thank Thanks, you. Counselor. Thank you. All the best. Love to know your thoughts on anything we've discussed today. The phone lines are firing up. Give us a call now. 833-44-MEGYN. Do you think there will be any fallout from the Hunter Biden art extravaganza? And by the way, did you watch my interview with Scott Gottlieb yesterday, the former FDA commissioner? (laughs) Got a little heated, got a little salty. Would love to know your thoughts on how that went, too, because we didn't get time to take calls. 833-446-3496. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh, joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash Megan. Welcome back to the Megan Kelly Show. The phone lines are open. Call us at 833-44-MEGAN, M-E-G-Y-N. That's 446-3496. We're going to take our first caller. Uh, it's Amy in Florida who's got a question for us today. Amy, what's on your mind? Hey, Megan. How are you? Hi. Good. Thanks. Good. Good. Um, I was just wondering, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about your history to know if you've been in the 
White House briefing room. But when when the press secretary states a, a blatant lie, how come the press can't just say, you know what, that's a lie? Mm-hmm. I mean, are there will there be will they get kicked out? Will they not be allowed back in? Because mm-hmm. it just seems so. It just seems so. Um, even Steve, even Peter Ducey is, you know, he tries with the follow-up questions, but it just never seems like somebody just calls her out for lying. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. a pure lie. Well, I think there's sort of a, an expected level of decorum, which even, you know, under the Trump administration, people tried. You could see their exasperation with, you know, Kaylee McEnany or what have you. And you can see it now with Jen Psaki, really only thanks to Peter Ducey. Um, but there's a le- level of decorum that I think is expected of the of the White House press corps. Um, but they are supposed to stay on it to the extent they can stay on it and push for follow ups or real answers. They should. And it's just it, when the whole press corps actually, you know, rains hell down on the press secretary because it's clear she's or he's been lying. It's a thing of beauty. It's like music being made. Um, it's just it happens so infrequently because everyone's got an agenda and, you know, they don't align. Um, it's It was nice during the Afghanistan uh, fallout because the press was against Biden and that. So you saw reporters really doing their job uh, and he, they got blowback on the Hunter Biden thing. That was good to see. But yeah, as a for the most part, it's frustrating. And um, it's really frustrating because the actual president won't take any questions whatsoever. Jen Psaki is all we have. Anyway, thank you, Amy. Appreciate the call. Uh, I want to go. Let's see. Tom in South Carolina. What's on your mind? Hello, Megan. It's wonderful talking to you. Uh, You know, I've heard I've heard that uh, President Trump was coming out with his own book. It's going to be called The Art of the Steel. I was wondering if you've heard anything. I haven't heard any press on that. (laughs) That's the isn't that the name? The guy who co-wrote The Art of the Deal with him claims he's going to be doing. I don't know that guy. That's another guy. Uh, he, he, like, fired that, he fired that bum. He fired him. He's a, he's a loser like that, and, a, and, a, and a, a rat. I don't know. Now that guy's like all over CNN and everybody looks at him like he's some sort of Trump authority. It's kind of weird. I doubt Trump's doing a book called The Art of the Steel, but he's probably going to do a book because he's going to get paid millions and millions of dollars for it. I mean, he'd probably get 20 million bucks for a book. Um if the publishing company had the stones to do it, right? Publishing is so weak need these days. And you remember after January 6th, there was a push not to let even any of his staff write books. Uh, But the big guy, yeah, I think the capitalist nature of these these book companies would win out. And he'd have a company like Regnery who would do it anyway, or HarperCollins would probably do it. So yeah, I'm sure we'll probably see one eventually. Okay, let's see. Uh, Laura from Ohio, what's on your mind? Hey, Megan, how are you? Good, how you doing? Good. So um, I guess the best thing to do is be honest these days. Uh, we, My husband and I are huge fans of you, and we followed you all the time. We couldn't wait till you came on Fox, okay? And then I know there were some changes. We were not really sure what all happened. But now that you're on Sirius, um, I, I listen to Sirius a lot. In fact, I'm a big Dr. Laura fan. And I just I'm trying to figure out where you where you're falling with all this. Are you trying to stay on the fence so you don't go left or right or because i this is the only thing my husband and i are huge trump fans i gotcha i'm gonna i'll I'll leave it at that because we're up against a heartbreak but i'll give you the quick answer um 
I, I did not enjoy the nine months that Trump kept coming after me. That's true. Um, but I see the good that President Trump did, you know, without defending the mean tweets and things like that that he did to others. Um, I can absolutely make the case for why Donald Trump uh, was a very strong president and may have very well have been a better choice than the one we have now. You should go back and listen to the podcast I did. Uh, I think it was the day of the election or the day before the election to see my thoughts more in full. Um, but my goal is to not be anybody's sycophant. And I hope you'll see that in my reporting. Thank you so much for giving me a chance. Talk to you tomorrow. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 